0: Here. If you've been here more than two weeks and you're thinking about making a journey your home church, we wanna, you're going to hear us often say stuff like, uh, what's your next step? Uh, we think that coming to church is a good start, but that, that God has more to do in your life, and so we are always going to be pushing you to take your next step. And so there's a table uh, that says, what's next, in the lobby, uh, both of our campuses. We would love for you to stop there. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get a Bible into your hand. Uh, if you don't have a, uh, if you need, if you want to serve, if you're not in one of our community groups, if you want more information about our black and white leadership night, anything like that, we encourage you uh, to stop there. Along with that, uh, everybody received a, uh, the other six reading plan. Can you guys wave that out? me. I don't see that on my my pulpit right here, but would you just wave that at me? Wave it like you just don't care. Yeah, Jordan, Britton, he's sitting right here. He's supposed to be on vacation. I'm not sure why he's here right now, but I see him sitting right in front of me. And so anyway, uh, he wrote that. And basically what it is, is oftentimes people will say stuff like, uh, what do I do uh, after I get saved? Or what do I do besides church? What do do I do besides a coming to to a Sunday morning experience? That right there is a devotional uh, that he wrote to kind of teach you about what, what to do the other six days of the week, and so it, it, it's, it's fitting today because we're going to talk about the, the Bible, and sometimes people say, what are you going to talk about in, uh, in your sermon series, and we say, Jesus joking around because we always talk about Jesus, but, but literally, we're going to spend the next few weeks, three or four weeks, talking uh, about the Bible, and my hope for you is that I would begin to whet your appetite to the point where you would begin to read God's Word. You see, just coming here on Sunday morning and listening to me uh, and never ever going home and actually reading the Word of God, it, it is like us going to Shady Maple, if, I, if that would be relevant enough to you. Uh, some of you weren't looking at me until I said Shady Maple, you just looked up. That offends me, I'm just telling you. So anyway, so Shady Maple, I'm just kidding, it didn't happen, and so, except for over here. So anyway, but Shady Maple, it would be like us going to Shady Maple and you watching me eat. Like that, that would be completely rude. Like for, for you to come listen to me is it, 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 okay but it, it should just be wetting your appetite to the point where you're going, I, I, I got to get into to God's word. So my hope is that we would give you resources and we would open up your eyes and we would whet your appetite to the point where you would begin to, to, to read God's word. You see, the truth is is we don't have an access problem when it comes to the Bible. We have an engagement problem. In, in other words, uh, it's not that the Bible isn't, isn't everywhere. Like we have something called version on our phones now where you don't even have to pay for the Bible anymore. I mean, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. You used to have to pay for the Bible. If you wanted a New King James version, you had to pay for it. If you wanted an NIV, you had to pay for it. If you wanted an ESV, you had to pay for it. If you wanted an NLT, you had to pay. If you wanted any of those versions, you had to go to the Bible bookstore and it, you, had to, you, had to, you had to buy it, unless you went to a, a hotel, and then which you could just steal the Gideon's Bible that was there which happens all the time, and so, but you had to buy it. but now you can just read it on your phone, and, and not only that, the average American home, period, has close to four Bibles in their home, like there's, there's Bibles everywhere, so it's not an access problem, we, we have an en- engagement problem, we, we, don't, we don't tend to, to open it up, and so my hope is that I would just push you just very practically into, into things like the other six, or we have if, you have, if you're in a marriage right now, and you're kind of going through issues, or maybe you're getting prepared to get, get married. We, Jordan wrote another curriculum called Sexodus, which is basically going to take you from, from point A to, to marriage, getting you ready for marriage. If you're already married, maybe it'll save your marriage. We did a, we did a reading plan that we're going to give you resources, resources for called Man Up, which is basically you just spend uh, a month before you do anything. If you're a man, if you're a lady, you can do it too, but, but we called it Man Up and you just spend the first part of your day. Uh, talking to Jesus and reading his word, and, and the, the thought is, as you think, so you become. Some of you, you want to change, and the problem is, is before you ever change what, what you do out here, you have to change kind of the way you feel and the way you think, and the only way you change the way you feel and the way you think is to get closer to Jesus and understand the way he thinks and the way, the way he feels, and as you think, uh, so you So you become, we have a, we have a, we have a reading plan that, that he wrote called On the Farm for Parents. Some of you are like, I don't know what to do with my kids, I just want to sell them and get rid of them and no one will buy them from me and so I'm stuck with them and so, uh, uh, you, you want help with that. We have, a, we have a reading plan for that. And then along with all those, there's reading, there's reading plans for every other issue you may be facing. Addiction, uh, divorce recovery, uh, loss of a child maybe. And so some of you thought that wasn't, that wasn't a funny joke. That wasn't a funny joke. We all love our kids and, and don't ever want to get rid of them. And so anyway, but maybe, maybe you did lose a child just real seriously and maybe you need, you need kind of help going through the mourning process. There's reading plans for that. Uh, maybe you're, Maybe you're a new Christian. There's reading plans for that. I just want to get you uh, from the word of God being just heard here to, to the word of God being read on, on your own, because I believe that God will begin to do incredible things through your life. We don't have an access problem; we have an engagement problem. Just by show of hands, just so we can kind of see that, uh, we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a little pop quiz. You guys ready? I want you to raise your hand uh, just so we can all see. Because listen, we're all in the same boat. I, honestly, as a pastor, I've gone through years when I never, when I didn't read the Bible. Like I read it to prepare a message. Uh, But I went through years where I didn't get up early and read the Bible. And my my justification was I already read Jonah in the ark. (laughs) I I already know how the world was made. Like I already, that was a joke by the way. I already, I already know the Ten Commandments, you know, six of them maybe. I I already got all that. And I got to do my sermon and it's going to take me a couple days to do my sermon and I went through years where I was kind of preaching on, on empty. And I can tell you through the shift I've made uh, this year, I'm not perfect at it, but the shift I made this year where, where I spend time just reading God's word, not to prepare anything, but just so he can prepare, prepare me for this, for this life, it, it changes you. And so I'm right there with you. This isn't a, hey, let's see who doesn't know the Bible, because most of us in this room at a limerick campus watching and playing, we don't ever read the Bible. That's just where we're at. And so it's not necessarily to judge you what it is. I just want to push you towards it because I believe it could change life. Let's just see. Let's just see how many of these statements are in in the Bible. Would you agree with, if you agree, would you put your hand up? If you don't agree, would you keep your hand down? It's a pop quiz. There's some trick questions. Don't worry. All of us are going to look stupid together. So anyway, here we go. Tell me this in the Bible. you ready? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Anybody think that's in the Bible? Think that's in the Bible? Hey, don't look around. Listen. You think it's in the Bible? put your hand up I see some of you no one got their hand I'll put my hand okay okay God helps those who help themselves anybody you guys are good confession is good for, the, for thy soul confession is good for thy soul see I just put that thy in there because that sounds like the King James version <laughs> that's not in the Bible though see, I can fool you guys right we, here's one. We are as prone to sin as sparks fly upward. We are as prone to sin limerick as sparks fly upward. That's, to me, listen, if there was one that sounds like it should be in the book of Proverbs, the book of Psalms, it's that one. But that one is also not in, in the Bible. Here's some more. Money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all thy evil. Put your hands up. <laughs> Technically, it's, it's semi-true. Money is the root uh, of evil. Uh, of evil, but it says love of money is the root of evil. So technically, you're, you're half right, and you're, you're mostly wrong. So anyway, <laughs> and honesty is the best, best policy. Honesty is the best policy. Anybody else say that's in the, the Bible? That's true too, but none of them are in, in the Bible. So I want you, this, we're just having some fun to lighten you up. I, I want you to begin to understand uh, the Bible, I'm a huge fan of GPS. I know some guys think that that is weak and that is, you know, unmanly and that is, is stupid. And, but, but I just can't imagine the time where you had to get one of those little maps at Sunoco or something like that. And you had to unfold the map of the United States. And you had to chart out your course to the, to the, to the, to, to the, the spot you were going. We've driven to Oklahoma, we've driven to Alabama, we've driven to North Carolina, we've driven all over, I used, I drove to Texas before. And I remember when I was, when I was 20 years old and I drove to Texas, I had to get something that was state-of-the-art called MapQuest, you guys remember that? And it would print out your directions, and you would have these directions in your reading on, on the road going 85 miles an hour, trying to see uh, when, when it's time to turn. And, and my, my problem with maps is how do you fold them back up? Like some of you are like, what's a map? It was this big, long thing. You unfolded it, and it never went back the right way. Anybody else Like, remember that? So I am a huge fan of GPS. It is the only time that I don't have a problem listening to to a woman. Anybody else there? Like, I don't argue with her. If she tells me to turn, I'm fine. If, if something pops up, we were driving to Alabama and then coming back, and we were going on all sorts of back roads. And I remember thinking, thank you, God, for, for Siri. Uh, and she's the second most, most, most powerful woman in, in my life besides my wife. And, and right now they're running a close, a close tie for first because she's sleeping and not helping me at all right now. I'm so thankful for, for Siri because Siri will just, you know, you'll be driving all of a sudden and it'll be like rerouting. And it'll say, rerouting, I'm going to save you 25 minutes. When you're driving 17 hours and Siri saves you 25 minutes, you might as well get engaged to her in that moment. Like, <laughs> I just love GPS. My wife is, is different. Like, like this, is, this is how it works. Usually, she, she types in on Google Maps, GPS, whatever, types in the address, and she likes to hold it. Anybody else have a holder? I want to put it down, and I want it to tell me exactly what to do, and she likes to hold it and, and to watch and to question it <laughs> she gets it from her dad y'all if he's watching this you know he has a problem with GPS and here's that he has two phones up with two different apps maps from Apple and Google Maps to simultaneously look at both of them to make sure they're both on because he doesn't trust he doesn't trust the GPS I trust it if it would tell me to drive into a lake I would drive into a lake we drove through Washington, D.C. I didn't hit one iota of traffic. It was taking me on all these back roads. I love, I love Siri. I love the point and the purpose and the ideas, ideals that I can have access to, to heaven. Like before I come to a turn, she's showing me where to turn. Before, before traffic comes, she can look like six hours out and say there's traffic. You want to reroute? I love that. What if I told you it's a lot like the Bible? Before you ever get to, to a decision, the Bible is telling you how to make the decision. It's almost not fair to, to us. Like, I mean, when, what I'm saying is we're passing the test. It's almost like we're, we have the ability to cheat. Like, before we ever get, before we ever date this person, the Bible's saying, here's the things you should look for, here's the things you definitely should not be looking for. It's telling you, traffic is coming. Listen to me. You got a problem with money? The Bible was way out in front of you telling you, here's how you get out of debt. Here's how you get blessed. Here's how God can enlarge whatever you need him to enlarge. Enlarge your territory. Enlarge your property. Enlarge this. It's not a naming and claiming thing, but it's just basic knowledge. Here's how the Bible says you can be blessed. You have, you're raising kids. The Bible was very clear on how you should raise kids. If There's a step-by-step thing. You're trying to figure out the Bible is the GPS. The question is, will you treat the Bible like I treat it? or Will you treat it like my heathen wife treats GG, she has to hold it the whole time and look and think, and maybe, you know, maybe look outside, and maybe Google if Siri knows what it's doing, and maybe check out a shorter route, and maybe, because that's the that's the problem, is many of us when it comes to the Bible, we're like, yeah, I know what you're saying, but maybe there's a there's a better shortcut. So my, my hope is is you would be like the one person that's gonna be on this earth that eventually is just gonna read the Bible and do what it says. What an amazing concept! That most of us never do. You read the Bible and you, you do what it says. You you read the Bible, and when it says to turn right, you don't wait and you don't say, you know what, I'm gonna pull up another thing, I'm gonna look for a better. I'm just gonna turn right. Why? Because this is God's word to me for this time to accomplish great things for his kingdom. I'm just gonna listen to it. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna go to the book of Matthew. That's where we're gonna land today, and you're gonna understand why I called this sermon series the king of the, the castle. And as you're turning there, I just, I just believe that, that what happens is, is we don't believe God enough for the, for the impossible in our, in our lives it's because we don't read enough to see the impossible in Scripture. The more you, you see God work in Scripture, the more you understand how he works. The less fear you have in your life, the more you trust him, the more you, you walk by, by faith and not by, by sight. Listen to what Jesus says in the book of Matthew chapter 7. And just so you know, the Bible is about Jesus. Jesus is fully God and he was fully man, and he, teach some, he teaches in the book of Matthew something called the Sermon on the Mount. If we would all just listen to the Sermon on the Mount, it would change this world. And this is what he says as, as he's getting done, you know, speaking the word. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word became, became flesh. And so everything he speaks is, is inspired. It's from God. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 24. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I want you to get this, this, this visual. The rain comes down, the streams rise, the winds blow and beat against the house, and yet it does not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. And then he says this, and I love this visual, especially since we're in the middle of summer and all of us, we love to put our feet in, in the sand, or most of us do. He says, But everyone who hears these words of mine do, does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on, on sand. And he keeps going. He says, the rain comes down, the streams rise, the winds blow, and they beat against the house, and it comes down with a great crash. A few weeks ago, I was at the beach. We were 12 stories up at Myrtle Beach. Uh, it gives you an eyesight view of, of how great that the ocean is. What makes the ocean stop anyways? And it, the sound of it was just Deafening at times. One time, I I woke up in two o'clock in the morning, went out and listened to it. I was like, "This is just an amazingly powerful thing." One night, we were out. My kids went to bed, and we were out on the twelfth floor, looking out over over the beach, and you could see it was the sun was setting in and a storm was coming, and you ever been to the beach when you could watch the storm come in, and, and I had watched all day, because when you have a child that's two, he takes naps, and so you don't just hang out at the beach all day, I didn't know if you knew that if you have a child, you're kind of up and down, and, and so I was up uh, taking, a, taking a nap with him and watching TV, he was napping, and I was watching TV, uh, and so anyway, and I was looking out, watching all these people on, on the beach, and they were digging, digging holes, and you ever have somebody ask you, why do you dig a hole at the beach? That's what you do at the beach. You dig, you dig a hole where they're making sandcastles. And I watch people, like, at the beach, I never really stayed that close, but I would watch people get up, and they would go to the beach at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning. You, maybe you're this type of beach person. And they would stay there till like, 5 or 6 or 7 or 8 o'clock at night. It seemed like no matter when I looked out there, there was people out there. And I used to think to myself, they're, they're building sandcastles, and they're digging holes, doing all this stuff. And, and, and then this storm's coming, and I'm thinking, they did all this work on this beach, and then this storm is just going to trash it. I mean, it's just going to ruin it. You ever been to the beach in Oak City, Maryland, where the guy builds all those sand sculptures? You just think to yourself, that's an amazing accomplishment that he just made, but if I take this cup of water right here, I can mess the whole thing up. And I started thinking about Jesus' words. This is exactly what he's saying. He's saying there's two ways to live your life on this earth. You can live your life based on your own words and based on your own ideals and based on your own thinking, but if you think truthfully about what you're thinking... If a storm comes, do you hold up? If something bad really happens, does the way that you're living, does it stay afloat, does it stay strong? Because you know if you you know this life, a storm's a coming, a storm's a brewing, the waves are crashing. He says, but if you if you listen to my word and you do what it says, no matter what comes your way, you'll still stand because you'll be standing on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. I mean, isn't that encouraging? So for the next few years, we're gonna talk about different things. Like there's a Bible verse that says that, that your your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We're gonna look at that. We're going to, there's a Bible verse that says all scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and building up the man and the woman of God. We're gonna talk uh, about that. There's a Bible verse that says that the Bible is sharper than a double-edged sword. We're gonna talk uh, about that before we talk about what the Bible has to say about itself. I wanna answer the question today. You know, where, where, what is the Bible? what is the Bible and how do we get it because here's the thing I think if I can get you to see uh, and understand the Bible on a deeper level and understand how we got it I think you'll begin to appreciate it appreciate it more and you'll begin to see maybe that this thing that you have access to is really a priceless treasure it's like going to a yard sale and buying a five dollar piece of of artwork and it end up being worth millions of dollars and you not knowing it, and the owner not knowing it, I think a lot of us are there. We have this priceless treasure that we have access to, but we don't we don 't really use it. And then I think if I can open up your eyes, you'll begin to see that, that this is really all I need. That I don't need to be scrolling on social media all the time, and I don't need to be searching on Google for what's, what this bump is on me, and I don't need to be worried about all these things. I just need to go to, to the word of God first and foremost, because if I build my life on that, no matter what storm's coming, first of all, he's out in front of, second of all, he's in charge of, and third of all, he's going to prepare me for so here's the question, number one, what is the Bible? Anybody ever have that question in this place because we talk about it every week. What, what is the Bible? Is the Bible a book that just kind of some weird dude wrote in a tent in the Middle East somewhere? I, I, is the Bible something that's, that's a few hundred years old? Is, is the Bible, you know, uh, something that was made up because you hear all that? So I just want to answer honestly because I think if you, if you don't know, maybe you've watched the History Channel, maybe you get your, your insight from TV, I don't know why. And maybe you've never studied, or maybe you've read an article about from somebody that's angry you know, at God and wants to do everything he can to destroy God and tell you there is no God, which, by the way, if there was no God, I don't think we spend so much time trying to argue that there wasn't a God. It just doesn't make sense. You never do that. And so I want to talk to you today about, about that, starting off. What is, is the Bible? The Bible technically is a, is a book, but it's not one book. It's 66 books. There's, there's the Old Testament, there's a the New Testament. The Old Testament is made up of 39 books. The New Testament is made up of, of 27 books. That makes 66 books written by all different people, written over a span of, of 1,500 years. I mean, think about that. If they had a, a date, if somebody was trying to write that for a, for a school report, you'd be in trouble. That'd be an F. It took them 1,500 years to write this Bible. Check this out. In four different, uh, by 40 different authors, authors on three different continents. The Bible is just not, not a book it 's sixty six books. If you go into the bible you 'll quickly realize as you study it that not only has it been written by, by all different people in all different ages and all different, in all different time frames it 's written by people in all different walks of life i mean there 's not a book like it part of it 's written by, by a king part of it 's written by a by somebody who's wandering in the wilderness named Moses. Part of it is written by a religious zealot who's killing people and Jesus changes him na- named Paul. And part of it is being written by a doctor. I mean, it is the most diverse group of people in the world. Yet, if you read it cover to cover, and you truly study, it it never contradicts itself. Never steps on each other's toes. and It never... Never leads you down wrong. It's almost as if it's one continuous story. The Old Testament is a story of God's chosen people. The New Testament is a story of Jesus. And and the the basic message is these people are, are through whom the Savior is going to be brought. Old Testament, New Testament. But if you just read the whole story, it's all about Jesus. It's an amazing book. In fact, the Bible says of itself in the, in the book of 2 Timothy 3, it says, All Scripture is God-breathing, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, the Bible was written by human hands under the inspiration of God to inspire men to experience the hand of God. The Bible was written by, by men under the inspiration of, of God, So that we can understand and see and be inspired to experience the the hand of God in our lives. You you have an opportunity to experience his work and his majesty and his miracles. It's an amazing book if you think about it. Sometimes people will say stuff like, well, isn't it just a a myth somebody just made up? Isn't it something that some people just got in a cave and just kind of wrote together and just kind of came? I I just want to make this really practical to you. When you go home, you tell your husband a story. And in 30 days, you ask him to give you the details of that story again. Even allow him to write it down. Every day. Not God, just write it down. Just write it down. I guarantee you at the end of 30 days, you're going to say the sky is purple and he's going to tell you pizza is good. For you to say that a bunch of men just got together and just kind of passed along this this myth is impossible. Just try it sometime. When we say it's a myth, people say it's a myth, it, it, it's been disproven. They've, they've had scientific finds that have disproven the Bible. There's not one. Some we say, what about evolution? The next time somebody teach, talks to you about evolution, this is what you ask them. Show me one animal that has evolved into another animal. And this is what they typically say. Proven. Not, not something some science teacher taught you because he's angry at God. Proven. And they'll say, what about the finches? They've, they've evolved into, into finches. They've evolved into a finch, and, and, then, and the finch, they're a little bit, their beaks are different, but they're still, they're still birds, they're, they, they still look the, the same, there's not, there's not one, there's, there's not one thing, so, so the Bible hasn't been disproven, sometimes people will say stuff, the Bible's been disproven by archaeology finds, and, and I would argue the fact that no, it's actually the opposite, there was a time when people said the Bible's not true, because it talks about the Hittites, and we haven't been able to find any proven knowledge of the Hittites and then some years back they found proven knowledge of the Hittites. Or maybe you just, maybe you just instead of all that, that stuff, I mean there's historical evidence, people like Nebuchadnezzar who we talked about, people like Caesar and, and Pontius Pilate, they're all talked about in the Bible and history proves they existed, but I like to do the proof is in the pudding test. Like you just find people who, who have applied Scripture to their, to their life. I can promise you, there's not many that have applied Scripture to their life that allow God to mold their heart that their life has fallen apart. I don't know if there is one. That when you read the word and you you put it into action, that most of the pain that we create in our lives is because we refuse to read God's word and do what it says. We argue with him. We justify just like you do if you're a child, with with your parents. you, You want ice cream. They don't want you to have ice cream. Why can't I have ice cream? I want ice cream now. You're so mean to me. You hate me. We do the same thing. Sometimes you look at your kids and you're like, what is wrong with you? You can't have ice cream for every meal and God's going, that's what I tell you. See, the Bible is a profound book. It's an amazing book. But what I like even more about studying the Bible is is talking about how we got the Bible, how it got to us. I think that's even more profound. I went to Valley Forge Park this past week. I had never been uh, to to George Washington's home where he stayed in my life that I remember, that I was awake for. So on Monday, we, we took our kids to Valley Forge and... We walked into that train station with all the old stuff there. That was pretty cool. And, and we walked down and we went into his house. I didn't realize that people back then were sh- really short, but they, they were they're really short and, and small, and they don't wear a lot of clothes. Like, they, only, they don't have closets, and, and they, didn't, they didn't have, they, like, it's everything about it I was just amazed with. And I don't know about you, every time I walk into those places as an American, I get super thankful. Like I started thinking about how cold it was. You know, we went into the cabins. Did you ever go to this where the dudes uh, slept on, on on those planks, so they like they're about to cave in three, three deep. You talk about in your personal space um, on hay, and you, you think about what they sacrificed. And I got super, I got super thankful. Like I, I left and, and I got prideful. I'm like wet there, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm kind of related to George Washington, right? First, first, the first president. Like I'm thankful every time I go down to the see the Liberty Bell. I've been there a bunch of times, and you go into to the hall where they signed the Declaration of Independence, and you look at all the tables with the green tablecloth. I think that was a really popular color back then. And so anyway, I, I think to myself, I'm so thankful for those those men. Been to Washington D.C. where you go to the the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Memorial, and just go by the place where they, they have names of the vets and the place for the, those without, that they didn't know, they don't know if they died or who, how they died, and they pay, res, pay your respects. and You just get prideful and thankful. See, I, I think if I could open up your, your eyes to, to, to how the Bible, not only to what the Bible is, 66 books written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors on three different continents, I didn't mention, in three different languages under the inspiration of God. But if I can show you how it got to you, maybe instead of you just kind of having the Bible but never allowing the Bible to have you, maybe the Bible will get the credit in your life that it deserves, and once it gets the credit in your life that it deserves, it'll start to change your life forever. Not because of the words, but because of the author of the words. See, 1500 BC, and just so you know, that meant before Christ, up to a few years ago, we kept our time as a world by the death of Jesus Christ. You can try to take him out of everything you, you want to take him out of, but, but the tomb's still empty and, and he's still alive. So 1500 BC, uh, God spoke for the very first time to, to a person named Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. And with his own hands, he carved into to stone the Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, not covet, thou shalt remember the Sabbath and, and keep it holy. Thou shalt have no other God before me, thou shalt not make a, an idol. All those thou shalt Ten Commandments. Within some years of that, the Jewish people had formed what we call the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament. They're really easy to understand, even though they're really hard to read sometimes. Genesis is how the world was made. Exodus is how God rescued his people from the Egyptian people. Leviticus, it's really hard to read and confusing. It's simple is they spent years and years and years, 400 years in this culture of, of the Egyptians where, where they would sacrifice babies to their gods and do all sorts of things like that. And so not only did God need to get them out of Egypt, he needed to get the Egypt out of them. So he writes Leviticus and then Numbers is, is Numbers. Deuteronomy, those are all kind of books, them getting to the their promised land. What's interesting about the Pentateuch is is for that time when they would write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they would write it on what was called a scroll, and a scroll was made up of of skin of, of animals. To write a Pentateuch scroll or a Torah, which was five books long, they would have to kill 150 animals for one. For one scripture, for one Pentateuch, for one Torah scroll. 150 animals would die. Another interesting fact is they would never use pig because... Because bacon was gross back then, it's good now, thank God, And so, but they would never use pig. But as they were writing the scripture, they were, they were so detailed in how they wrote it that if they messed up one letter, one period, one space, they would trash the whole scroll. By 500 BC, the whole, the whole Old Testament was complete, Genesis all the way to, to Malachi. You had the prophetic books, you had the historical books, you had the, the poetic books, you had all these books together. People were studying the scriptures, and then for 500 years, God went silent as he's preparing to bring Jesus into this world. Some of you, you grew up uh, Catholic, and in the middle of the, the Old and New Testament, you have books that, that quite honestly shouldn't be there. They just shouldn't. There's stuff in there that, that you shouldn't believe, and we're going to get to that in a second. I'm not bashing the Catholic church, but I am calling them wrong so maybe I'm kinda bashing them so you have the Old Testament to Malachi and the world goes God goes goes silent and Jesus comes He lives for 33 years he dies on a cross he's put into a tomb on the third day he rises from the dead the book of Acts is written about his disciples who get filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to turn this world upside down and by the first century AD which means after the death of Christ you have You have all 27 books of the the New Testament in place, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, all the way down to Revelation. So you have the Bible completed and kind of out there. And just so you know, if you ever ever watch the History Channel and they'll bring books like Like the Gospel of Thomas, or the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, or the Gospel of this, or the Gospel of that. The reason those books aren't taken into account as credible is because they can't prove who the author is. Every book in the New Testament was written within one generation of Jesus. In other words, somebody that knew Jesus was telling them about the story of of Jesus. Like It's not like it just kept getting passed down and some weird dude in the middle of the thing said, you know what, I think I'm going to be Thomas now. So you have the Bible. By the year 367 A.D. and then 393, actually they're kind of simultaneous, you you have a vote in the African Senate of Hippo, and they said, here is the Bible. This is the Bible, we're not going to add any more books, we're not going to take any books away. These 66 books are the Bible and by 500 A.D. the Bible was translated into 500 languages. I mean, incredible. Just so you know there was no computers there was no copy and paste people are transcribing the bible word by word letter by letter period by period and they're passing around the word of god and then something awful happened between the, the time of five, 600 AD and 1400 AD there was one church at that time the roman catholic church and they went corrupt sad to say and what they did is is they wanted to silence the people they wanted to teach things that weren't in the bible they wanted to get money for things that maybe they shouldn't have been getting money for, and they made it a, a rule and a law that any Bible that's not in Latin, and just so you know, if you're Catholic, you've spoken Latin at some point, or the priest has preached Latin, but Latin is kind of a dead language. No one speaks Latin, and the idea was, is the only people who know Latin are the trained priests, which is, which is us. We can tell people whatever we want if we get rid of all the other Bibles. So they burned every Bible. Luckily, there was a man named Columba. Not the guy from the show back in the day. But in 563, a man named Columba kind of went under the scenes and started a secret Bible society. I love that. Write a movie about that. Do a movie, you know, make it, make it Brad Pitt or somebody like that. But Columba went under, undercover and he started, he started translating and passing on Bibles and kind of doing everything secretively. So they started passing on the Bible. So as the Bible's becoming darker and the masses are getting taught things like purgatory, which is not in the Bible, and indulgences was not in the Bible, and praying to the saints and praying for dead people, those things are not in the Bible. Going to a priest to make confession and him telling you, if you do enough of this and enough of incense, you'll be fine. You have one priest, the Bible says. You have a high priest that understands you, and his name is Jesus. I'm not a priest. I'm barely saved. I'm only saved by grace. So you have this man, he begins to translate the Bible, and then all of a sudden, all these men start to come on the scene, men like John Wycliffe and John Huss. John Wycliffe, he's the first one to translate the Bible into, into English, and he gets the Bible back into people's hands, and at that time, it takes years to translate one Bible. He gets it into English, and he died off without being killed by the Catholic Church, but he pissed them off so bad that 44 years after he died, they dug up his bones so that they could call him a heretic. Started messing with their empire. One of his disciples named John Huss continued to, to spread the word of God in, in English. Oh no. And as people started to read the word, they caught John Huss. They put him on a stake, the Catholic church. They tied him to the stake. They got his, his teacher, John Wycliffe's Bibles. They put him all around the stake. They lit him on fire with the Bible. Something seriously wrong with the church at that point. They tried to silence all these men, and as they silenced them, they just kept getting louder. A few years later, in 1517, a man named Martin Luther, who was a Catholic, began to actually read the Bible because he was trained in Latin, and he began to read it. And he said, wait, 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 wait. Just like that. <laughs> he said, there's, there's no purgatory. There's, there's no indulgences. Why are people paying us for this? Look, when you die, you either go to heaven or hell based on the grace of God. You get judged for your sins, or you get judged for his grace. Well, this other stuff is garbage. We're living in big castles because of all the stuff. We're making money off people. This is garbage. And so he wrote down 95 things, 95 things he disagreed with. And he went to, the, to a church in Wittenberg, Germany, and he knocked it. We call it the knock heard around the world. And it started what we call the Reformation, the Protestant church, the church that was protesting the Catholic church. He went on the run for, for, a long, for a long time. And then at the same time, a man named John Cooley popped up. You see, the more you try to quiet the word of God, the more it just pops up. John Cooley began to interpret the Bible again into English in England. 20,000 people started showing up. 20,000 people started showing up to listen to the word of God. A few years later, a man named William Tyndale, he began to print the Bible on the printing press. And it was over at that point. They finally caught William Tyndale. They burned him too. And as they were burning him at the stake, he prayed this prayer, God, would you open up the eyes of the king of England? And within 100 years, King James came on the scene and he started to make it okay to print the Bible and the rest is history. And people died and people sacrificed and people gave, people hid to get the word of God back into your hands. And my question is, why do you think Satan has tried so hard to keep you from reading the word? Because he knows the word, it will change your life forever. He he, he knows the word because it's, It's about his son it's about the the love and the grace of of jesus coming to this earth he knows if he can get that into your hands if he can get you to read that you're going to change the way you think your marriages are going to be different the way you handle money is going to be different the reason you get up on monday morning it's going to be different but he's tried everything to keep you from from the word And what he's done in our day and age, you have all these men that have sacrificed the women, that sacrificed to get the word of God to us, and now we have more access and less engagement than ever. And isn't that his next plan? If I can't keep the word from from your hands, then I'm going to make the word seem so normal and mundane and maybe out of date that you'll you'll refuse to read it. The one thing that could help you, you'll you'll constantly question, my hope is, is that you would just begin to read the word. Every once in a while, as as I get ready to close, every once in a while, I'm on Facebook. And when I say every once in a while, I mean like every hour I'm on Facebook, right? Because that's what happens. You get sucked in. And I was on on Facebook uh, and I I read something on Facebook and it it was the water, drinking a a gallon of water a day. Anybody ever read that? Like literally what I drank during during the day was iced coffees uh, and and, and iced tea and stuff like that. And so I started thinking maybe I should drink some water maybe that's why I look so old uh, and wrinkled and feel bad and so I started drinking a gallon of water a day two weeks ago it's awful I mean it tastes awful has no sugar in it makes you feel bloated I'm pretty sure I'm gaining weight instead of losing weight because I'm drinking water I think it's water weight but it's not coming off I don't know what's happening My wife told me maybe that the water is going under the fat deposits and eventually the water is going to push the fat deposits out of my body. I'm not sure. I think I'm just getting fatter, but I'm still drinking it. What I found about the the gallon of water is the first day you drink the gallon of water, you have to pee like crazy. Like I'm just talking like every day, pee like you you have medical problems, you have to go pee. Like it's just bad, right? And it was hard to drink it. Like I was chugging it, like just feeling sick. But here's what I started realizing. The more that I... The more that I drank the water, the more that I wanted the water. The more, the more that, I, that I drank the water, the more that I wanted the water. So two weeks into it, because you're drinking water now, your body wakes up and goes, give me water. It's weird. Before, I woke up and I said to my body, you know, give me, give me an iced coffee with double cream, double sugar. And now it says before anything happens, because I still need that, but anything happens, you need to get water. You need to get water. And the water starts tasting better, and the water starts going down better, and I'm not sure what happens to the insides. You start going to the bathroom less and all this stuff. And and, and I thought I was thinking to myself, that's the same as the Bible. Because so many, so many years I was just like, I can't read it. I don't want to get up. I don't want to read it. I know it all already. I've heard it. I learned it all in the flannel graph, just like John said. I know all the stories. And then I started reading. And as I started reading, the more that I the more that I read, the more that the more that I wanted, I started to to whet the appetite of my, my spiritual man, and the more more that I needed the more that I wanted and that's my prayer for you some of you you, you're like I don't even feel a desire to read the Bible yeah because you fed your body junk food for the last 30 years of your life you have a desire maybe you don't even know it your body has trained you now you have a desire to feed on feed on social media you have a desire to watch TV you have a desire to listen to talk radio whatever you listen to you have a desire to, to to read ESPN you have a desire to watch things because you've trained your body to to live on junk all of a sudden you start, and I'm not going to lie to you, the first couple of weeks is going to be treacherous. You're going to be like, you know, who's Matthew and who's, who's Jesus? Jesus, you have a book written about you and what, what are you talking about right here? And all of a sudden, you're going to start to read and you're going to start to apply and all of a sudden, you're going to want more and you're going to want more. And listen, it's not about you becoming better spiritual so people can look at you and think, wow, look at all you know, but it is about you becoming more effective at what, what God has called you to do, which was tell everybody everywhere about his son. And you'll want more and you'll want more and you'll want more. Would you stand with me all over this, this house as we get ready to close? And really practically, my hope and my prayer for you is that you would take your Bible out when you get home and you would find really practically a plan and you would read it. I think it will change everything. It will change what you post about online. It will change what you watch. Some of you are going to rearrange also, some you have to rearrange your time, rearrange everything in your life, but I promise you. If you begin to read the word of God, the word of God will begin to change you. It'll begin to change you. Not just read it, but you have to apply it. I love the word of God. I'm going to read you John 3:16 as you're standing today. In honor of the word of God because if you don't know Jesus, maybe you don't need even know or scripture at all. Maybe you're confused about this whole God thing and I think if we were ever able to go to the word of God and say here's what this message is about, we read John chapter 3 Verse number 16, if you were were in church when you were a kid, I'm pretty sure you memorized this at some point. Maybe you've never been in church before, and this is what the Bible says. The Bible that was written over 1,500 years on three different continents by 40 different authors in three different languages with the same message, God loves you. Just so you know, that's what the message of the Bible is. This is what the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse number 16, it says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If it stopped right there, that that would be kind of powerful. Then it keeps going. Watch it. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn condemn the world. No, no, but to save the world through him. For whoever. I love that verse. I love that word. For whoever. No matter who you are. No matter where you've been. No matter what you've done. No matter who you've done it with no matter how many times you've messed up, no matter how many times you've fallen back into sin, no matter how hard you ran, that God did not come to condemn you. you You're already condemned. You already got a, a wound. He didn't come to push it and ask you if he hurts. He already knows you hurt. No, no. But whoever, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God and his only son. Whoever believes in him You'll never be condemned. That's the word of of God. It's active. It's alive. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It brings hope to the hopeless. It brings healing to those filled with pain. And I challenge you very practically. I don't even want you to pray at the end of today. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in a second. Because I'm going to give people all over this church and that Limerick a chance to respond to the gospel. But my prayer for you is that you would read his word. We're going to do everything we can to resource you. We're going to do everything we can to, to encourage you. But you, listen, you don't have any excuse if you're a follower of Christ. You need it. You need the word, the word of God. You, you need it. It's a lamp unto your feet. It's a light unto your path. Would you pray with me all over this house? Jesus, we love you so much. Lord, we just make a commitment, Lord, today, as we leave this place on Sunday, before we get lunch, before we, before we watch TV, before we swim, before we... Get prepared for this week, Lord, for those of us who maybe aren't reading your word and maybe we don't even have a desire to read your word. It's not even that, that we don't know what we're doing. We don't even have a desire. Would you just give us that desire, Lord, e- even in the midst of it? Would, would we be a people that walk by, by faith and not by sight, but not, not by what, what we feel today, Lord? And I believe that the more that we, we read, the more that we need. The more that we open up our eyes and our mind to your word, the more you speak to us and the more that you'll change us. Not because of the word, but because of what the word represents. The word represents your son, and your son changed us. Changes our motives, changes our heart, changes our mind, changes our actions. As you're praying, church, if you're in this place, just really quickly, and you don't have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. See, so you can say, I believe in God all you want, but he never asked you to do that. The Bible says in James that even the demons believe in God. And they know Jesus is real. I'm not asking you to stand here and say, you know what? Yeah, I think Jesus is real. I, I, I think, he, I think he, God, God is real. I think somebody created this stuff. It's cool. When I get to heaven... When I die, I'm not really sure what's going on, but if I do get to heaven, I think because I believe in him and I'm cool with him that I'll get in. The Bible has a distinctly different message. God never asked you to believe in him per se like that because with that, that's religion. It's based on you. It's based on you carrying the weight. I get to God because of what I've done for him and how I believed in him and how I followed him and then I can get to God. The gospel is different. The gospel says that God came to you, friend came to you. Some of you can relate right now because you are at a really low spot, you're at a really painful situation. Maybe you came today in the hopes that maybe God would speak to you, and he is right now. Maybe you thought to yourself, this is my first step in cleaning myself up, because that's what many churches tend to teach, maybe ours even at one time by accident. If you clean yourself up, then God will accept you, but that's that's not the gospel verse that says, while you were a sinner, while you're at your lowest, at Christ he died for you. He died in your place on a cross for your sins. He was buried in a tomb and on the third day he rose from the dead and the message is, is that your story is not over, that there is a resurrection power found in the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, friend, and if you would believe with your heart and you would confess with your mouth. That Jesus is Lord, that he died on that cross in your place. Maybe you don't even fully understand it, but I do know what you probably do understand. You understand how you feel, and you understand where you're at, and maybe you're tired of being there right now. If you would put your faith, trust, and hope in Jesus Christ, I believe he will rescue you right now from the lowest pit that you're in. He is the rock at the bottom, and he will bring new life. He will bring hope. He will bring mercy. At a Limerick campus, Pastor Bob is standing in the front. Maybe you would just agree with me as you close. I'm here right now. I wasn't really sure why I came into this place, but I know that I don't have a relationship with God because I never confessed Jesus as my Lord and and my Savior. That God doesn't love you because of what you do today, but God loves you because of who you respond to. You're responding to Jesus Christ. And listen, he's not going to see your sin and see your past. When he looks at you, he's going to see his son. You're going to see a future. Jesus' story should have been over. He rose. It was just the beginning. Your story should be over, but it's never too late. It's never too late to be who God made you to be. If you're in this place and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you need to pray, pray with your mouth, confess, and believe that He is Lord. I want to pray with you as we close, and what we're going to do is we're just going to talk We're going to talk to God like we talk to a friend. But I need to see you right now in this place. Say, you know what? I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. So I I know I'm praying with you. If that, you, would just simply just place your hand up in the air? I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to make him the Lord uh, of my life in this moment. Is there anybody physically here with me right now? I'm going to give you one more second. Just respond. Just respond. Just respond. Just put your hand up in the air. Say, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. You can feel him knocking at the door of your heart. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He's drawing you to himself. He's knocking. If you would just let him in. If you would just let him in. This is your moment. At a Limerick campus, you just keep your hand up in the air and say, today I'm going to make Jesus the Lord uh, of my life. Maybe you're watching online. You're not here with me right now, but somehow you've stumbled upon this message and you're in a really bad season. God sees you. God has a purpose and a plan for you. Would you just pray? Would you just pray and just ask him to come into your life right now in this moment. If, if you're here, I'm going to give you one more second. One more second. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life right now. Would you pray with me, church? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this time. Lord, I believe just very practically that this this sermon series is, is going to change people's lives forever because of the power of your word when we take the time to read it and invest it, invest into it, to seek your face, to ask the questions of you we should ask, Lord. Lord, I pray for those maybe that don't read it at all right now. This would be the very first week that you would just give them a hunger and a thirst for your righteousness. That you would speak to them in a real way. Maybe there's people in this place that quite honestly are like me. They've grown up in church. They know the stories. They've learned the Bible lessons. They went to Sunday school. They did the Bible quizzing. They did all that stuff. They got homeschooled. They went to a Christian school. They are they're very familiar with, with the Bible. But maybe they're like me. They're not familiar with with the author. You know the word, but you don't know the person the word is about. He has not transformed your life. I pray right now that you would give them just an eye-opening experience, that you would just help them to begin to read, to start off maybe really slow, but Lord, the more that we read, Lord, I believe the more that we're going to need, the more that you are going to do in our life, Lord. And so I thank you for that. I thank you for those that are going to make this commitment, and I believe that this commitment will change their lives. The Bible is clear what we do, and seek it, you reward in public, Lord. And Lord, I thank you, Father, as we seek your face, as we get in a prayer closet, as we go to your word, Lord, you're going to change our lives forever, Lord. And we just rejoice with you in advance, and we are so grateful for your word. For all those that, that we stand upon their shoulders to do what you've called us to do in this season and time, we are thankful for them, for what they did. Lord, help us to continue to do good things for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, that we pray. Amen, amen. Church, would you clap with me?